Morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Beautiful day outside, isn't it? So uh, if this is your first time here, I'm really glad you came here today. This is a place where we want to help people get connected to Jesus and connected to other people. And so, man, you've just come to the right place, hopefully. I, you're going to have like a great experience with God today, something real that you can cling to. Hopefully you're going to meet some people if you're new. If you've got a bulletin, all of you, you can do this right now. You can take out the Connect card that is in there. Everybody feel free to fill that out. Even if you're a first-time guest, this is not an invitation for us to show up at your house uninvited. It's just a way for us to communicate. And if you're here for the first time, if you take that Connect card out to the information table that you saw when you were walking in and give that to them, say, hey, it's my first time. No bells and whistles will go off, but they'll just give you a gift. So there you go. Don't be afraid to take that over there. Otherwise, if you want to write anything down on that Connect card, prayer requests or things you're more interested in, some information about, whatever, just throw that into the offering later in the service, and there you go. So a little piece of family news here. We are not going to be in this theater forever. If you've been here for a while, you know that we are building. And tomorrow morning is a good step forward towards that. Tomorrow morning, that house that's in front of the building site at 1306 Fizey is going away tomorrow morning. Yeah. So if you want to see the house and have one last memory of the house or take a picture, whatever, today's the day you need to go over there. Or if you want to see it taken down tomorrow, you can go about 7 in the morning and watch it be demolished. There you go. You can grab a brick or whatever you want. That purple bathtub. So, And uh, just a, a request from the building team. If you do want to at any point go see the progress at the Fizey building, that's great. But if you would not go into the parking lot, but maybe park on Landgrove instead, we don't want to anybody to get hurt. We don't want to impede the construction workers because we do want to be there this fall with the building completely done, which I was um, – I'm sorry to admit this. Some of you are going to be disappointed in me, but I'm listening to this Brad Paisley song that just came out. Like, there's a last time for everything. Some of you are like, I thought you only listened to Casey, like or Christian radio. You know, I can grow. I can learn to listen to country music. But there's this song, there's a last time for everything. And there will be a last time that we meet in this theater. Yes. So there you go. Yeah. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 24, which is where we're going to be today. Or if you've got a smartphone app, you can actually go to the Bible app and pull up the service. The worship folder's got a great place there to take notes, so there you go. Well, another thing about me that you may or may not know, as a kid, I just grew up reading a lot. Still do. My favorite place as a kid was the public library. Just awesome place. One of my favorite authors was Agatha Christie. Anybody else read Agatha Christie murder mysteries? So I don't want to lose any of you, but I'll just tell you a little bit what I, about, uh, what I liked about her. She just had this way of creating a sense of dread and a twist that would just, you go, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. She, she's just a prolific writer. She's like the gold standard for mysteries and murder mysteries and just an all-around good author anyway. I passed that love on to my daughter, Alyssa, so you'll probably see her at church when she's home from college because they've got an Agatha Christie night reading outside in the hallway. Uh, one of the things I like about Agatha Christie, she develops these really interesting characters like the detectives, like uh, Hercule Poirot. Sound familiar to anybody? Miss Marple. And uh, so some of my favorites, if you're like thinking, well, I'm, I've never read that, but maybe I'll try. One of the best is, and then there were none. Everybody is invited to this island in the middle of the ocean, and they start dying one by one. They're murdered one by one. And, and the sense of dread that builds through the book, they're like, who's doing this? Who's killing all these people? And then there were none. And you're like, even the murderer? Wh who, which one of these is the murderer? And you get to the end, and you get the twist, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even see this coming. That's a good one. Murder on the Orient Express, that's Agatha Christie. You maybe have seen the, the movie. Murder at Hazelmore, uh, Death Comes as the End. That one's set back in ancient Egypt after Agatha Christie and her husband did an archaeological dig in Egypt. That's, that's a story, great stuff. 
one of the things I've noticed about her is it's very dangerous to be one of her characters. There's a lot of murdering going on in her books. And uh, one of the things that I love about what she writes uh, is one of her first books. It's called The Murder of Dan a- or Aykroyd. Roger. Dan Aykroyd got stuck in my head. I couldn't get rid of it. The Murder of Roger Aykroyd. One of her first, and I, I, was, I just remember reading that going, oh, my gosh. And I asked Alyssa about it. She said, yes, I sat in stunned disbelief for 10 minutes at the end of the book, like, oh, my gosh. I, I know I'm looking at you some, I think I'm losing some of you who are not readers. So let me just compare Agatha Christie to something, uh, like in movie terms, for those of you who watch shows. Ever see The Sixth Sense? Okay, Agatha Christie is like The Sixth Sense in that you can't watch The Sixth Sense once, Right? You watch it, and then you have to go back and watch it again to see all the things that you missed. And, y- and then the second time through, you go, how did I miss that the first time? Same thing with reading some of her novels. You go, okay, it was there. Oh, now that I know who the murderer is, I go back and I read it all again, and I go, oh, well, there's a clue there, and there's a clue there. and there's a It's so obvious in hindsight. Why didn't I pick it up in the moment? And I want to compare that to the experience that a lot of Jesus followers had in the, the hours and the days after he rose from the dead. There were a whole lot of people going in hindsight, oh, yeah. But my question is, considering all the things that Jesus talked about before he died, nobody saw his death coming. And I think, why was that a shock to you? And nobody certainly saw his resurrection from the dead coming. And again, I think, why was that a shock for you? Why was nobody expecting Jesus to see him alive again on Sunday? Why was that such a, a thing that was like, wow. Now, I know that you and I have 2,000 years of hindsight. And so there's a lot of things that we just know that they didn't know at the time, but I still don't know that that lets them off the hook because of how many things Jesus said before he died that should have let them know this was coming. I'll give you a great example. Luke 9.22. You don't have to turn to it. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus said to his disciples, the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Maybe I'm missing something here, but this doesn't seem very subtle. It's like, here's exactly what's going to happen to me. They should have, this isn't like the only time he said this either. Repeatedly, Jesus would say to them, here's what's going to happen. I don't want you to be worried. I don't want you to be dismayed. I already know what's going to happen, and it's all going to work out okay. And yet, when we get to it actually happening, Thursday night he's arrested, Friday morning he's, you know, put on trial and, and crucified Friday afternoon. He's dead. They didn't see it coming. That's not even the only thing, though, either. It's not just Jesus. It's like the whole rest of the Bible, which you say, well, how much of the Bible was there when Jesus was around? If you take what you and I have as the Bible and you take the whole section that we now call the Old Testament, that was their Bible. It was finished about 400 years before Jesus ever came to the earth. So they had a Bible that they grew up if not reading, because a lot of people didn't have a Bible in their home, an Old Testament, but they would go to synagogue every week on Saturday, and the scrolls would be brought out, and there would be a reading of the scripture, and it would be taught, and they maybe even would have grown up going to Bible classes. So, And the Old Testament is just filled with things about what would happen to Jesus. So I look at these things, and I think, like, how did you miss this? And there's a perfect story that we're going to get to today, true story, in, in Luke 24 that just encapsulates all this irony of people who should have known but didn't. So if you got it, your Bible open there, let's go ahead and walk through this. I think that the, uh, the my take on this, my filter as I've always read this story, and maybe I'll, I'll put it out there and you can 
view this story this way if you want to or not, but I viewed this through a filter of this is just funny. And maybe you can tell me later if you disagree with me, but I think this is, this is like the comedic relief. This is a joy-filled story. It's delicious in the irony that takes place in this story. And so, again, a true story that happened, and we're told about it. So I think that as we walk through it, I know it happened 2,000 years ago, but I believe if you'll open your heart to what God may have brought you here to hear today, you might find yourself in this story. So let's go ahead and walk through it. I'm going to just go ahead and take the first few verses on. Let's read verses 13 through 16. It says, on that same day, we'll just pause real quick. This is Sunday. Jesus was arrested Thursday, died Friday, buried on Saturday. He's all dead. Sunday, he's risen from the dead. So on Sunday, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what were you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked Jesus, are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that have happened here in the, these days? What things, Jesus asked? Well, about Jesus of Nazareth. And we're going to pause there. I want to just look at this. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And I get it, this is 2017, we get in the car to go one block. So a seven-mile trip is like, whoa, what, do you got the backpack on? Is this a three-day journey? What is this? Seven miles is nothing in a culture where everybody walks everywhere. Think about it this way. Emmaus, or Jerusalem to Emmaus, be like if you were down at the Gateway Arch, and you got some family in town, and you're doing the whole tourist thing, and they're like, hey, can we go see that St. Louis Zoo? I've heard it's awesome. Yeah, well, instead of getting an Uber, instead of getting a taxi, instead of getting in your car, what if you decided to walk it? Crazy, I know. Like, who does that? But you did. You could do it in two hours. It's just six or seven miles. So you just go on to Olive, continue on Lindell. You go past Slough. You go past the Cathedral Basilica. You hang a left into Forest Park, or you know, and you can see Washi right there. It is an easy walk, seven miles. And they're just walking, and they're talking, and they're talking about everything that happened. What is the everything that's happened that they're talking about? It's okay. You can say it if you want. They're talking about what happened Thursday night. These guys were probably in the upper room with the 12 disciples when Jesus had Passover. There were other people there besides just the disciples. Their families were there. So I don't know if you, how you picture the upper room on Thursday night when Jesus ate Passover. It wasn't just the 11, 12, and then Judas left, and that was what. There were other people there, too. So Cleopas and the other guy were probably there. They're talking about that. They're talking about Jesus being arrested. They're talking about Jesus being crucified. And there's like this. It's a, I picture it as a beautiful day like today, sunny and nice and breezy. But there's this dark cloud following over the two of them. It's like Pigpen, only it's a cloud of storm, you know. And they're just, oh, woe is me. And, and they, they, they're, they're talking about how, you know, the women went to the tomb that morning and Jesus' body wasn't there. So they're just back and forth. And Jesus himself walks up alongside them. And I know that they're sad, but they have no reason to be sad, whether or not they know it, right? Like the guy that they're mourning is walking alongside them, talking with them. How amazing is this? They, and how is this even possible? Like how do you not recognize Jesus is standing next to you? A couple of things going on here. Obviously, if you saw your friend die on Friday, and you're like, I will never see Josh again. If somebody walks into Starbucks on Sunday who looks a lot like Josh, your mind is not going to go, oh, my gosh, Josh is alive again. You're going to go, 
man, that guy looks an awful lot like my friend Josh who died Friday. So there's that. They never expected to see Jesus again. But then Luke points out another detail, right? He said that somehow they were prevented from recognizing Jesus. Mark, who also wrote a gospel account, talks a little bit more about this. In Mark 16, 12, he said afterward Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. So somehow Jesus had has kept them from recognizing. I don't know if he just looked completely different. I don't know if he looked healthier than the last time they saw them or if it was just some kind of a thing he's He's maybe wanting them to not realize who he is so they can think about some things at a deeper level. Jesus is the best teacher the world has ever seen, and he's in teacher mode here. Now, this next part, this is where I think this is just so funny. They're talking to Jesus about Jesus because they don't know it is Jesus. Any of you, I know, again, I'm not trying to alienate anybody, but did you ever read any Mark Twain growing up? Remember in Huckleberry Finn where Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn go to their own funeral? And they go sit in the, the balcony and they listen to the preacher who never liked them say nice things about them. And this is kind of like that to me. They're like, Jesus is walking right beside them. It, and then Jesus, like, it cracks me up what the, the next part of the conversation is. Go ahead and go to verse 17. So Jesus asked him, what are you talking about? And they stood still. Their faces were downcast. Cleopas is like, what rock have you been living under, Jesus? Do you not, how do you? Do you not ever check Facebook? And so they don't know it's Jesus. They're like, dude, seriously, watch the news. How can you not know what just happened two days ago? Jesus, he got crucified. And he, and then the women came back from the tomb saying, he's gone and, and he's alive. And then some of our followers, Peter and John, went to the tomb. And they're like, yep, the body's not there. And so they're like debating what happened. And then is it just me or is Cleopas just called Jesus an ignoramus? How do you, like, how do you not know all of this? But then I don't want to laugh at them too much because look at verse 21. Things are going to get better for them, but right now they are suffering. And it is very real. We had hoped that Jesus was the one. Let me stop right there because a lot of people live their whole life right there. I don't know how your week's been, how your month's been, how your year's been. Maybe you're living right there. Maybe you'd hoped that you would have got into that college. Maybe you'd hoped you were going to pass that class, and it's not looking good. <laughs> you're coming out of the end of the semester, and it is. there's like nothing we can do to turn that ship around. You know, I, I don't know what you'd hoped. Maybe you'd hoped that your career would be further along than it is right now. Maybe you had hoped that your job would have lasted longer than it did. Maybe you'd hoped that you would have stayed cancer-free longer than you have. Maybe you'd hoped that the relationship would have made it and it didn't. Maybe you would have hoped you would have been in a relationship, any relationship right now, and you're not. So many things. Like, you can fill in that blank however you want. And the one thing I know about every person in this room is there is something you can fill that blank in with. I had hoped, but that's where I'm living right now. I don't have what I had wanted and hoped for for so long. That's a tough place to live. My heart hurts for you if that's where you're at. Now, Jesus, as I said, he is the best teacher the world has ever seen, hands down. And he's teaching something here right now to these two that they will never forget. Cleopas and his buddy will never forget this moment on this day because they are about to realize that no matter what they have hoped for and not realized, that God has always been beside them. 
every step of the way. And for us, 2,000 years later, there's nothing different about what I've just said. Now, is Jesus physically here? No, he's in heaven awaiting his time to come back here. There's never been a time in your life where you've been alone. And whatever it is that has deeply disappointed you or whoever has deeply disappointed you, God is not one of them. He's right beside you if you would just have the eyes to see it. And in a moment, they're going to get to see what they don't realize right now. And so Jesus, on the road, as they're walking along the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, conducts this in-depth Bible study. Just picture them. Now there are three of them walking side by side. This is, I don't know about women because I'm not one, obviously, but I know men. We like to talk while we're doing something else. And so Jesus is honoring that with these two guys. They walk and they talk about the Bible. And so let's let's go ahead and read this, verse 25. It says, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all these things that the prophets have spoken. By the way, just let me pause here. So Cleopas calls him socially ignorant. Jesus calls him biblically ignorant. So he got him back. Like, how foolish are you, Cleopas? Don't you guys know your Bible? And so did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He took the Old Testament. Now, he didn't actually have the scrolls with him. He just went from memory, and he said, hey, guys, do you remember when the, old, when the Bible said this? Do you remember when David wrote this? Do you remember when Isaiah said this? And he talked about himself from the writings that were in the Bible. How cool would that be to have Jesus lead a Bible study? Amazing. To have Jesus, the author of the book, telling you what it means. I've always, I, no offense to any of my English teachers who might listen to this podcast later, but I always was like when they'd say, well, here's what Mark Twain meant, or here's, Really? How do you know? Like, I think you're finding meanings in this thing that aren't there. Hemingway never thought that. But when you got Jesus telling you what the Bible means, you're pretty, pretty secure ground right there. And that's what Jesus is doing here. I imagine, because it doesn't tell us what scriptures Jesus quoted and taught about, but I've got a couple of guesses that I think are pretty close. I imagine Jesus would have quoted Psalm 22 to Cleopas and his friend as they walked along. Psalm 22. Let me just read a little bit of it to you. And try to envision what happened to Jesus on Friday as I read these words. Psalm 22, 6 through 8. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Psalm twenty-two sixteen. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. My bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Does this not sound like somebody watched a video of Jesus' execution and talked about it in poetic terms? Roman soldiers encircling him, pierced his hands and his feet, gambled for his clothes, the religious leaders sneering at him. If you're so close to God, ask God to save you. Thing is, David wrote this 1,000 years before Jesus is crucified. David wrote this hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. How did he do that? How did he know that? And Jesus starts to go on further. I imagine Jesus would have started quoting the prophet Isaiah, who talked about God's suffering servant. Isaiah 53, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah wrote this, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Where was Jesus buried? Whose grave was he buried in? Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph, a very wealthy man. Jesus was given a royal burial. Though he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Over and over, Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. 
Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Another incredibly accurate description of Jesus' death and resurrection, and it was written 700 and some years before Jesus ever showed up. And if you're thinking, well, maybe somebody just kind of made up this Isaiah thing after Jesus to make it fit, you could say that until we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls, we found them, and they date to hundreds of years before Jesus. And those are just copies. Those weren't the original Isaiah. They were just copies and stored in jars and put in the cave. This is an incredibly accurate prophecy about Jesus. And this is what Jesus is doing with these guys. He's saying, look, the Old Testament is all about me. It's marbled all through there. There are all all kinds of things telling what was going to happen to Jesus. If you would just paid attention, you could have seen it. I don't know a lot of people today I talk to, and as I teach, they think about the Old Testament like, well, that's Israel. They get to the New Testament, and that's about Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. The Old Testament is about preparing for Jesus to come and save us. It's not like God tried the Ten Commandments, and that didn't work, so let's go to Plan B. We're still on Plan A. We've never got off Plan A. Before God ever created the world, he already had this in mind. Old Testament, Jesus is coming. Gospels, Jesus is here. Acts, Jesus has gathered a group of people, the church. Revelation, he's coming back, and he's going to get everybody. And everybody who's ever lived, I don't even care if you die. It doesn't matter. Jesus has shown us. That doesn't matter. He's going to give you a new body, a real body, and you're going to be alive again. Everybody who's trusted him, everybody who's not, everybody's going to be raised to, to stand before God when Jesus comes back. That day's coming. As much as this was prophesied and happened, <clears throat> there are things in the Bible that have not happened yet. I know that gives me goosebumps when I think about that. There are things in the Bible that have not happened yet, but they will. And that's coming. And it's all about Jesus. And that's why here at Connection, I love it. Like, anytime I get to preach about Jesus, this is amazing because he's like the most important thing to all of us here. And if you're here checking it out, you just ought to know that, that we want to help you know Jesus and follow Jesus and obey his teachings. Well, Cleopas and his friend, they get to Emmaus. Jesus is with them. And they're going to have dinner with Jesus. Let's see how that happened. Look at verse 28. So it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I want to pause there for a second because when I've read that before, I've kind of like, is Jesus kind of like lying to them? Like, no, I'm just going to keep going. You guys go on. Jesus is just showing good manners. In that culture, here's what you would do. Your host would invite you to come in and you would politely decline. Your host would urge you then, oh, no, no, really, come stay. It's okay. And you, again, as the guest, would say, oh, no, no. Then your, your host would just absolutely insist, like, grab your arm. No, 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 you have to stay with me. And then you would say, oh, okay. That's just good manners. So Jesus is just using good manners here. They invite him in, and then Jesus takes over the meal. Listen to what happens. So when he sat at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. And I ask you, have you heard that before? So this is Sunday night. Go back three days, four days, Thursday night. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, broke it, and gave thanks, saying, this is my body broken for you. This was like a deja vu, aha moment for those two. Listen to what happened next. Then their eyes were opened, they recognized Jesus, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? They've had that moment, like, oh my gosh, this is Jesus. 
And it's that moment that completely changed their view of reality forever. And I don't know if you've ever had a feeling like that where you've just, for one point in your life, you can say, from right here, I will never again see the world like I saw it before. This is that moment for them. Because now, the things they've read in the Bible, it's not once upon a time. It's resurrection is a reality. People who are dead can come back to life. And Jesus is alive. And their eyes are open. I, I don't know, again, what you've gone through this last year. Maybe this has been a really rough year for you. And there's a lot of things that have disappointed you. Jesus is with you. And maybe the thing that you need to realize this morning is that you can ask God to open your eyes to see the hope all around you. You don't live in a world that's just happened. You're not the long end of a chain of just random encounters. There's a purpose that runs through everything in the world and in your life. And you can get into the flow of what God is doing. And, and maybe you just need to take some time to ask God to, to show you some things in a different light. And that you can interpret some of the things that have happened in your life that God has allowed. And that, that there really is something on the other side that's going to make all of this worth it. If God, for thousands of years, can say, this is what I'm going to do. God can give meaning to your life today. And he wants to do that. There are so many things that we have to look forward to in Jesus. And there's going to come a point in your future, I guarantee you this, especially if you trust Jesus, where you're going to look back and go, I didn't understand it at the time, but oh my gosh, God is so smart. And God is so good. And there's going to come a time, and maybe it's already happened to you, where you're going to look back and you're going to go, why did I waste so much time worrying? Why didn't I just relax and trust God? Like, he's got it covered. He, he didn't fall asleep. He didn't forget about me. He doesn't know, you know, just sit there going, I just don't know what to do. That's never something that God will say. And there's going to come a point in your future, if you trust Jesus, where you talk about last things, it's going to be the last time that you cry, it's going to be the last time that you grieve, it's going to be the last time that you sin, it's going to be the last time that you are disappointed by somebody. That day is coming, and it's as, just as sure as you're sitting here right now. So I got a takeaway, though. Is I really need to challenge you with this. Jesus can always be with you, and he can always be with me, but you've got to choose to commit to him. You have to choose to follow him for that to be true. You have to, and that's the starting point. I don't know where you are spiritually, all of you. I haven't talked to all of you. I um I pray that we always have people here at Connection who are just beginning to think about what Jesus might mean for your life. Some of you, you may have followed Jesus and you kind of fell off and you're like, need, you need to get back. That's always allowed. It, God always welcomes you back home. But there is a starting point where you say, I'm going to commit to Jesus. I'm not going to be the person who's in charge of my life anymore. I don't really do a good job when I insist on having my way. So Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And the way we show that, when we get immersed in water, we claim Jesus as Lord. We are baptized, buried in water. Now, what I want to warn you against is there were some people who were incredibly knowledgeable about the Bible, but they just totally missed the point. And I don't want you to do that with Jesus. Like the religious elite who ended up killing Jesus were very knowledgeable about the Bible. But Jesus himself said this in John five thirty nine: You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. They're the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Uh, don't don't miss out on this. 
any of you, you ever seen the people of Walmart? Anybody? If you have not, you should Google that, but do not do that when you've just eaten. Okay, just word to the wise. I want to show you one of the people of Walmart. This guy's actually pretty funny. He's pretty clever. Uh, this is, let me get his name right, Manuel Garcia. He posted this picture on his Facebook page. He said, I'm waiting for the pee to fall so I can sue Walmart. Ha ha. <laughs> then he posted day two, and this is day two, still waiting. <laughs> he's just kidding. He's not really, you know, trying to sue Walmart. But I, I do have to ask, like, is there something that you're waiting on to take the next step with, with God in your life? Why? The smartest thing that you could do is to think about what it is that God wants you to do, to pray and ask him, let him reveal it to you, and then just act on it. And you won't look back and go, man, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. You're going to look back and go, this is the wisest thing I could have ever done. This is like the most blessing into my life. So uh, I wanted to invite you to stand up right now. I want to pray for you. And you be thinking about what it is that God wants you to do next in your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for showing us that you've known all along what to do with us and how to bless us. Help us to trust you. Help us to say yes to Jesus. Help this be a church where people feel like they can get connected to you, where they can find love and acceptance. In so many ways, we've gone wrong. I mean, I readily admit that. And I'm very thankful for your love and your grace and for the forgiveness, and we need that too. So, Father, as we go into a, a time where we do what Jesus said and we share communion together and as we sing, would you please just show us what we need to do next? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.